Well, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to be in several spots uh, tonight. And I want to encourage you uh, to not let this one scare you away from the rest of the series. <laughs> That's always a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? This one's a setup, all right? This is the setup for the rest of this series. And uh, this is the title, Seeing the Big Picture. Uh, how many of you have ever struggled with the flow of the Bible, knowing what's where? Anybody? Okay, just two of us? Yeah, right, all right. We all struggle with this at times. You, uh, you start thinking and you, uh, you wonder, you know, who came first? Uh, uh, you know, the, the easy ones like, is it Elijah or Elisha? Who came first? Uh, was it, is, is Rebecca first or is Rachel first? Uh, those are easy ones. Those are close ones. But then was it Abraham and Joshua, or was Joshua first? Or, you know, where's David fit in all of that? Because, and a lot of the reason of this is because when we teach and preach, we're teaching on, we might be in this book for a month or so, and then we come over here, and we're in this book for a while, and we just skipped halfway through the Bible as we did that. You know, we're in we're in Abraham. We're with Abraham one week in in the book of Genesis. Then we're then we're up in Jeremiah and whatever that might be. And we start to get confused on on what we're reading. And many times, if we don't use a reading schedule, we have some confusion there as well because we're hopping around, or just as you're in the different books of the Bible, and you're like, well, where's this fit in? If you were listening, if you were here this summer uh, in, in here versus the growth groups, uh, you know, they were going through the different minor prophets. Well, those aren't in order. They're, they're going to different places. So there's a little bit of confusion sometimes. You know, uh, who's first? Is the, the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Daniel? Is it, well, Isaiah's before Daniel, so is, does that make it to where he's first? Well, that's not quite how the Word of God works. Uh, like I said, this is often due to how we teach and preach. And add to that, you know, neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament are compiled completely in chronological order. That's not how they're put together. That's not how your, your Bible is. So on Wednesday nights this fall, we're going to try uh, to remedy some of the timeline confusion and sort of step back and see the big picture. And we hope that you'll gain more from the Bible study uh, when we do this, we'll, that when you hear the Word of God teach, when you hear, hear the Word of God preach, when you're in your personal Bible study, that seeing this big picture will help you grasp more of what you're reading and hearing. Does that sound good? Okay, good. Well, that's what we're going we're gonna to be on. And so I encourage you never to get frustrated, though, and give up on studying the Word of God. Uh, there's so many times... How many would be honest, and you started on the, a Bible reading chart, and you got to about Leviticus, and, right, yeah, see, everybody laughs, because that's where it happens. You got to Leviticus, and, okay, I missed a day. I missed two days, and then, all of a sudden, you're a month behind, and you're like, ah, and you give up on going through the the. the you know, maybe trying to do it in a year or something of that nature, uh, whatever that might be. But I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't give up. Uh, if, you, if you miss a day, just start wherever you, there's no magical thing that you had to get it done in this amount of time. Just stay in the Word of God. Why? Because each time you go through the Bible, 
Each time you go through a passage in Scripture, you will gain a deeper understanding. One, because you're in, you've now seen it or heard it multiple times. The other reason is you're in a different spot in life. And each time you read that same passage on a different spot in life, God has something different in your life at that point. Amen to that. That's a wonderful thing to know. And God does that in his life. And it, it's just, it shows the depth of the word of God that he can do that. So it gives us that application in our life. And know that God uses his word. He uses it instantly to transform our life at salvation. But then he uses it slowly to change our life over time into the image of his son. Okay? So let's step back and consider why should I study the, the God's word? Wilmington has a, in his guide to the Bible, if you don't have that book, that's a, just a wonderful study that he put together, just chuck full of things. He puts here, why should I study the, God's word? And I've, I've, I've taken a couple of these. Um, first is because of its author. 2 Peter 1.21, where I asked you to turn, it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God the Creator, the Redeemer, our Shepherd, our ultimate Judge of all, has chosen to speak to us through His Word. Does he speak through us, to us through prayer? Yes. Does he speak to us uh, through the teaching and preaching of his word? Yes. But the main way he speaks to us is through his word that's been preserved for us through time that we may have it and to, so that we can uh, hear that, grow from it, be held accountable for its teachings as well. Secondly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but because of the repeated commands to read it, we're supposed to. Joshua 1.8, he tells uh, Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart out of, my, out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. All right, that's Old Testament, New Testament. I think the kids all know this, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're supposed to know it. We're supposed to read it. He's commanded us to. Third, because the Bible is God's chosen way to accomplish his divine will. I just mentioned this. First thing, so that we can be saved. Second, so that we can be sanctified through the message of the Bible. The purpose, it's, it accomplishes God's will. Fourth, because our enemy, the devil, has read it. And he uses it, and he manipulates it, and twists it so that we will buy into lies. Uh, Satan deceived Eve, the book of Genesis, by manipulating God's word. He didn't come with just, a, just an all-out lie. He came with a slight manipulation of it. Then he comes, and, uh, he comes in the New Testament. Jesus is at his weakest moment after, after, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights out, out in the heat in that wilderness desert where he was. And he comes to him, and once again, he manipulates the word of God. But Jesus Christ, obviously, knowing the word, being the word, he was able to stand up to that. Fifth, because the Bible alone provides answers to life's real questions. 
Where did we come from? What is meaning? What is morality? Where is my destiny? Only the Word of God can answer all four of those to where they combine together, make a cohesive thought. Now, others have, think they have answers to one or two of those, but when it comes to the scrutiny of putting all four of those together, of your, of your origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, nothing else stands up to the Word of God. Because we'll never have the opportunity to apply many of its verses after we leave this earth. He's told us these different things that we're supposed to do and the ability to heed God's wisdom and to lean on his understanding. We won't need that in heaven. He will be there right with us. The opportunity to share the word of God with a lost person so that they can come to know Christ. Those days will be gone. The time to raise our children and our, and our families under, Bible, under the Bible's teaching. Those days will be gone as well. This is the time to use God's word. And then lastly, because our only proof of our faith is in the Bible. The Word of God is powerful. In Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What does it do? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When what we feel and what we think really is of little consequence to someone that we're trying to share Christ with. Our testimony is a wonderful way to reach people, but they really are not the same as the Word of God. Because that person that you're speaking to, they feel stuff as well. They think things. They have opinions. Do they not? Just like you do. But God uses his divine word to pierce our hearts. That's a diff there's a difference there. Testimonies are powerful, but God's inspired word, guided then by the Holy Spirit's conviction, is the ultimate tool. John 20, 31, but these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. It is the word of God when we teach and when we preach and when we share our testimony, it is the Word of God that truly reaches hearts. Our testimony should be used. It's a wonderful tool that we have, but ultimately, the Word of God is what's most, most powerful. So, if you've been struggling with your time in the Bible, I hope that you will consider these points here. Uh, take a fresh look at your Bible. Even you say, I, I'm not understanding, but keep reading, keep studying, keep meditating, and then keep applying God's Word in your life. It has to be all of those, all right? It's not just read it. The reading and applying have to both be there. So think, study, apply God's Word. So let's start on some some helps with this timeline, this seeing the big picture. These are going to be some, I hope these, you don't roll your eyes on these things tonight, but I think that these are helpful uh, in my opinion. And I want us to look today at some high-level structures of your Bible, some ways to categorize your Bible so that when you look and you find yourself in a specific area in the Bible, you'll have a little feel for who the audience was and does this apply to me, does the, how does this apply to me, and those types of things, all right? So the first is, the structure that we see here is realizing that both the Old Testament and the New Testament 
How they're broken up in your Bible is by what? Does anybody know? I know you do, but anybody want to say it out loud? Sure, Old Testament, New Testament, before Christ, after Christ. Within the Old Testament and within the New Testament, how are they broken up? Was that? They buy books, and then those books are arranged by type. All right? So you, have, uh, you don't have Psalms right next to Exodus. Why? Because they're grouped together by genre. If, if you want to use that term, uh, or, or type of literature might be a better way of saying that. So these different literary types are, are put together, and if we read just thinking it's in chronological order, that sort of messes us up. So if you look at the Word of God, go ahead and put that next slide up. If you look, this is your Old Testament. It begins with the book of the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they are written in a chronological order for the most part. There are some like parentheses, uh, they call it a parenthetical, uh, where they'll stop and they'll tell a little account or they'll go back and reframe something. Uh, For instance, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1, you're going along through creation. It says, male and female created he them. And then chapter 2, wait a minute. You're talking about Adam being formed from the dust of the ground and Eve being taken from from his side. Well, that's a parenthesis to where they're explaining those two verses. I think it's 26 and 27 of chapter 1. It's So so it's still somewhat chronological. There's just some stops there occasionally. So this is what we have in the law. And it goes on, and there's there's some chronological order to that. Following that, we now have Israel going into the promised land. And we have a historical account. Now this is chronological as well. We've got Joshua through the book of Esther. But Esther, or Ruth, they're actually little, little accounts that happened inside of one of those other accounts. So like the book of Ruth, it happens during the time of Judges. Well, you can't just shove it right in the middle of Judges. That doesn't make any sense. All right, so it's right next to there, and we see the account as it, as it goes on. Um, we have some things that repeat in there as well. Uh, at the end of the, of the history books, you have First and Second Chronicles. And you start reading that, and you're like, wait a minute, we're talking about David again. You get in Second Chronicles, and you're like, wait, 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 I'm talking about this king again? I thought I just read about him in First in Kings. Well, you did. Uh, so you've got First and Second Kings. I'm sorry, First and Second Samuel. And they're, they're the same thing as First Chronicles. And then you've got First and Second Kings, and they're the same thing as Second Chronicles. Well, why is that? Well, there was the people went on out to Babylon. They were captive in Babylon. And when they came back, the history was, was written again for those new folks that came into the land so that they recaptured the history of the people. And both of them, God included in his canon. So as you know that, it makes a little more sense. Okay, this isn't just repeat. This is, this is here for a reason and gives more detail of what was going on. There's more details with that, but for the, for the most part, that's what's going on. So following the narrative law and history, we get to the next set of books. You either love these or you hate these. If you love poetry, if you love song, you're going to love Job through Song of Solomon. 
If, uh, if you're a person that's, uh, that, that's just not your cup of tea, uh, you're probably never in these books. Well, you're missing something. Uh, but these books are not in chronological order at all. In fact, Job is in the book of Gen- would be in the book of Genesis. Uh, you get to the book of Psalms. It was written mostly, about half, by King David and before he was king. You've even got, a, you've even got one in there by Moses. Then you've got a bunch by people later on during Hezekiah's time. So you've got this book there of poetry and hymns that really goes the canvas of the, of the entire nation. So you get into Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Those are all written by, most people believe, by Solomon. They're not in order. Uh, it would, if it was in order, it would probably be Song of Solomon Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, if you're following his life. But that's the, way, that's the way God chose to put those there. The main thing, though, as you look in this, is knowing this is a different type of language. I'm not going to read the book of Ecclesiastes as I'm going to read the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy. Those are narratives uh, explaining exactly what happened, how it happened. The book of Ecclesiastes is, a, is an older man that is just letting his heart pour out. And it is this very poetical form, and there's, there's, uh, there's stances to it, the way it's formed, and it's just a different type of reading. Then we get to the final ones, the, book of the, the prophecy books. Now, these are divided by size, Major and minor prophets. I know many of you have heard this before. Please stay with me. This is helpful, I think, to us as a whole. So as a church body, we're going to go through this to come together, all right? Um, So we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Major just because they're longer books. Isaiah is much longer than Jonah, for instance, okay? And then the minor prophets, very small. They're not in order, once again. They are not in chronological order at all. So if you were to take the book of uh, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and you could take these different prophets, imagine them as pins, and you could just pop them in different spots. And then also, they're two different people. They're not all to the southern kingdom of Judah. They're not all to the northern kingdom of Israel. Some are not even to either of them. They're to Nineveh or to Edom for the most part to the enemies of of God's people. So as we know that and as we see that, I don't get into one of those books and say, claim the promises that are, or claim some curse uh, that's uh, to a a foreign land from some 4,000 years ago. That just wouldn't make sense to do that. We have to know who this applies to, who's the audience that this book is to. So first we see the Bible is broken up by literary types. Your New Testament's that way as well. We're not going to discuss that tonight. But the New Testament's very similar in how it's it's put together. Second, though, we see that the theme of the Bible is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The entire Bible, the theme of of the book is Jesus Christ. Go ahead and show that next one if you wouldn't mind. Jesus speaking in John 5.39 says, Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. There was no New Testament when he was saying that. It was just the Old Testament. And he says there, they are they which testify of me. 
the scriptures, the, the Old Testament that we, have, that we have. When Paul went off into his wilderness to study the scriptures, what was he studying? Yeah, he was studying the Old Testament, and he saw Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament. And we see here in the Word of God, as you're looking through, there's the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ through God's Word. And uh, this is a, a wonderful way of illustrating it here. In the Old Testament, there is that anticipation of the Messiah. They didn't know His name. But they knew the Messiah was coming, and the law gives the, the foundation. Each of those segments we looked at, the, how they're, they're broken out, and the law shows the foundation for Christ. Why did we need Christ? Because we can't keep the law. You couldn't, they couldn't, we can't, all right? We couldn't keep the law. History is the preparation for Christ. Poetry, the aspiration of Christ, and then prophecy showing the expectation of the Christ as we see over and over when we get around Christmas time and, and when, we, uh, when we're at Easter time, we get in the book of Isaiah and it shows all the prophecies uh, of Jesus Christ, the expectation of the Messiah that is coming. Then in the New Testament, we see now the realization of the Messiah. As Don has said, we see that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Lord has come. And we have four groups there. The gospel, where the manifestation of Jesus Christ. He walked on the earth for, for three, some three, three and a half years before his crucifixion. And then the history after that, where the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout building the churches throughout Asia Minor and finally into Europe. Then the letters that were sent out by Paul and Peter and, and John and, and James and Jude and all those men, how... Now there's the interpretation of Christ and what this means to you as a church and as a, as a Christian. And then prophecy, the ultimate, the, the end, the consummation in Christ. Now, I didn't make this up. This came from Norman Geisler from his book, From God to Us. What a wonderful way of seeing Christ in the, in the Bible. So when you see the entire Word of God, you see Christ is in it all. And it is all pointing to Him. So we see why the books are in their order and that they, this is tough on Wednesday night. I hope you're, you're with me. Like I said, it'll be lighter from here on out. But in, in the order that they have there, but they all point to Jesus Christ in some way. Next, I want us to see now some common ways that the Bible can be segmented to help us. It's one thing to know the different genres, but how can I actually segment the Bible to give me some clarity of what's happening? Who is it happening to? What, what's going on here? Uh, there is always, whatever passage you turn to in the Word of God, there is always a primary audience, the original people that it was spoken to. So we, we first need to know that. There, there's a primary audience for the promises, uh, for the judgments, for the prophecies that are occurring. So it's important, therefore, to have some way of knowing what that primary audience is, then to see if that applies to me today. Is this something that I need to heed in my own life? Or can I, can I learn from them and how they did or did not do something? You know, I can... Uh, the, the judgment upon Israel, Kadesh Barnea, when they refused to, when they listened to the ten spies versus uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb to not go into the promised land. 
Okay, the, the curse on them that they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, that doesn't apply to me, that part. But the principle of how God reacted to them and how they responded back, I can learn from that. So those are the types of things that we, we need to look at. Uh, so there's three different types of division. I don't know if we'll get to all of them tonight. We're seven to eight, right? Okay, very good. I'm just trying to, we're 6.30 on Sunday night. I'm trying to get that in my head. All right, it's been a while. So the three types of division, there's the chronological, uh, there's, uh, or stages, there's covenants, and there's dispensations. So let's look at the chronological or the stages first. Um, this way places the Bible, I'm going to, I've put it into 12 different stages. There's, and I'll just run through these. Uh, as you read through the Bible, there are, you start with the stage of creation. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about these on Sunday mornings in the next few weeks. Uh, creation, the fall of man, we have the flood with Noah, and then the Tower of Babel. That's a segment right there. That's a stage, a, a chronological segment there. Then we get into the patriarchal stage. We have Abraham, then we have Isaac and Jacob, and we have Joseph, and you could add Job in there as well. He's uh, more around the time of Abraham or before. Then we have the in that stage the from those men, we have the beginning of the Hebrew nation, where God took it from all men down to one specific family, to Abraham. And then finally that stage ends with the arrival of the Jews into Egypt, where God told Abraham that was going to happen, and they go down there for some 400 years. The 400 years goes by, and we get to the next stage of the Exodus stage. In that time, Moses is, is raised up, 40 years goes by of him being raised up, and there's the deliverance from Egypt. He takes them then through the Sinai to gives them the law. He tells them how to build the tabernacle. And then, as I was talking about at Kadesh Barnea, their failure to actually fulfill that and go into the promised land. That's one big chunk. That's a chronological segment of time, a stage. Those help us, right? We get a feel for that, how, the, how these go together. Then that 40 years goes by, and we have the conquest stage, and we have Joshua comes onto the land. And we're going to talk about each of these as we go through uh, this series. Here we have the invasion of the land. They go in to, to the promised land, and they, they go in the middle, and they go up, and then they go down, and they take different parts of the land, and they subject the land. And finally, after they subjected that, they, Joshua sits down with them, and he says, all right, uh, Judah, you get this, Ephraim, you get this, and divide it all up among the 12 tribes. And that's that stage. That generation dies off, and we get to the judges' stage. Here we have some 12, you could argue how if it's 12, 13, whatever, but 12 different military reformers that come, judges in the land. Uh, there's the book of Ruth, the marriage of the Moabite girl. And then there is uh, the um, call of, the, this stage ends with the call and ministry of the prophet Samuel, the judge stage. Then they say, we want a king. 
And there's a united kingdom that occurs. And we have this stage where it talks about the, the reign of three kings under this united time of King Saul, then the godly King David, and then King Solomon. This is where uh, the ark comes, is taken and, and they capture Jerusalem. And finally, the first under Solomon, the first temple is built in all of its magnificence. And the Lord moves from the tabernacle to now dwell with his people in Zion, in the, in the temple of God. Well, civil war comes out. And now we have the chaotic kingdom stage. This is where we now have this this is, I've said this before, this is the one point that just was like the light bulb moment in my life. I can remember how I, where I was, how old I was, when I finally got it in my head, oh, there's a split kingdom. That's why I say it all the time. It's because I, I would read King, King of Judah, King of Israel, and I just thought, well, they're just using the same name, just using a different name, like, you know, you'd call... Somebody by their first name and their middle name. No, 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 no. These are two different kingdoms. There was a civil war under Rehoboam, and it, and it splits, and Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom, and Rehoboam just takes those two tribes of, of, uh, of uh, Judah and Benjamin down to the south. And we have now a civil war. The ten tribes eventually never have a, a godly king, and as you read through all of that, they eventually get captured by uh, Assyria. The, northern, the southern kingdom of Judah... They go on, they stay a little longer, they have some good kings, uh, about half and half, and then finally they get captured by Babylon. So now both the north and the south have been taken captive by someone. Assyria finally gets taken over by Babylon as well, so they're together dispersed, and we get to a time of 70 years goes by, and during that 70 years we're in the captivity stage. This is where Daniel is speaking. This is where Ezekiel is speaking out. Uh, this is the, eventually we see the fall of Babylon. We see the rise of Persia in this time frame, which is all important because Isaiah, during the time of Hezekiah, he speaks the name of the king that's going to allow them to come back some, some time later. And he, he's, by his name, this, this man is prophesied. And all of this helps us know as we're going through here, where am I? What's going on in, in the Bible at this time? And we get to the, the, the decree of Cyrus and the rise of the Persian Empire there, the Medo-Persians, and Cyrus comes to power in the return stage. And they get to come back. They get to go back into the land. They see the temple that's been destroyed and they rebuild the temple. Now we have the second temple. Nothing like Solomon's temple, but nonetheless they're building the temple. And then Nehemiah comes along and they rebuild the walls around the city. And we have this deliverance of the Jews that are in Persia in the book of Esther in there as well. So we have this return stage. And that's where we coast into, that's a bad way of saying it, but we have this time of silence and finally, we get into the New Testament, and we have the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something has changed. The Lord has come. The promised Messiah of all those other stages has finally come, and the Messiah is there. And then after he is resurrected, after he is ascended, we then have the early church 
And as we read through the book of Acts, we see the birth of the church and, and we see it, that book split into two where first it's to the Jews with Peter and Stephen and Philip. And then finally, Paul comes onto the scene and God wants him to specifically go to the Gentiles. And we have him and Barnabas and Silas in the last part of, uh, of the word of God. And then we end the entire Bible with letters, epistles. And they're telling us what's going on during this early stage. They're telling us what's going on after the disciples, many of the disciples have passed off the scene. And, and we have Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude writing letters. Now, if I know those stages, doesn't that completely change what I'm reading? I hope so. It completely changes. And you say, I, I can't remember all that. No, you don't have to. Just look at those different stages. As, as you read through the Word of God, you'll see these different stages come about. And you'll know where then to hook in when, it, when you read the beginning of it. Hopefully you have a Bible with a little bit of study notes and it tells you who the audience was. And you'll go, okay, to Judah, okay, to Israel. And you'll know then where to go with that. All right, we're not going to get done with even half of this, so we'll just keep going, get to where we will, all right? Now, I would consider this, and I don't mean this in it, this isn't, I would consider this, this is the level we need to be at. All of us need to get to this level. All right? In your, in your study of the Word of God, the flow of the Bible, to see the big picture, we need to eventually get to this level in our life. In this method, all the prophets, the poetry, the side accounts begin to fit into place in our mind. Um, this gives you a good grasp of who are uh, other people's, who their contemporaries are, who came before them, who, who comes after them. It also gives us a spot where we, um, we can look at secular history and see how that connects in with, with God's Word as well. You know, when, we are in the, when we're in there hearing about Hezekiah and we read about Sennacherib and we, we read about these you know, Nebuchadnezzar later on and, you know, okay, I see how that works. And you can, and you can start to study and see where that goes and uh, find good books that can help you with that, like Holman's Bible Atlas. Everybody should have that book. It's like 15 bucks, the best book you can buy on putting those types of things together. Uh, here's some sources for uh, some chronological resources. Say you want a chronological Bible that will help you do this. Uh, there's reading plans on Blue Letter Bibles, like the best free site you can get. Uh, it just has everything there. Uh, and you just go into reading plans, boom, a Bible.com. That's an easy, even easier one to use. And then if you want to go hardcore and actually, you know, spend 50 bucks and buy a specific Bible, uh, Reese's Chronological Bible. Uh, now, those are great tools. And I would recommend some point in your life uh, reading chronologically through the Word of God. But, please hear me, I would not always read my Bible that way. Okay, I would do that once or twice to get that feel of how the flow of God's Word is. But they're in genres for a reason. And reading through the book of Psalms together and not trying to put Moses' psalm here and David's here, putting them together, that book was, was assembled for a reason that way. They're in books within the book. 
Uh, there are different genres within that. There are different styles that, you know, that's important. And uh, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us as, as we do that. We do not have time for covenants and dispensations, so we'll hit that on another time. But uh, as you look through the Word of God, uh, it is... We need to take it very seriously, uh, our learning of the Word. Um, It's important for us to see the big picture, to know where we are, to know where the person we're reading about is. And I urge you not to take um, this way or the ones we'll talk about in the future. Don't take them too far. Uh, I'll come back to this when we get on uh, covenants and dispensations because most people don't take stages too far, but they do take those too far. They're tools, all right? They're tools to help us understand the Word of God. And if you take anything to an extreme, you are, you're taking the Word of God typically out of context, and you're, making, uh, you're trying to fit the Word of God into a man-made hole that you've created. It doesn't work that way. And God will not allow that to occur. And you will warp your sense of, of who you are as a Christian and your beliefs when doing that. And we'll talk about that in a little more detail when we do these next ones. All right, let's go to the Word in prayer. The Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. And although we didn't get through all of this, we got through what you would have us tonight, dear Heavenly Father. And just help us as we look at your Word, uh, as we start to look at these different segments of the Word of God. You give us some clarity and understanding and maybe just a fresh uh, understanding of what you have for us and what uh, what you would have us to learn as a church body as well. Be with us through this night. Thank you for the kids that have been able to come out. I thank you for their parents bringing them as well. Help them to hide God's word in their heart this year. Help us to see kids come to know Christ as their Savior. We we pray for the teens and uh, that many of their friends from school might come out for this as well. And uh, just guide them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.